Football is back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello, thank you for tuning in to this week's Zonal Marking podcast. This podcast brought to you, of course, by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell and joining me each week is The Athletic's writer, Michael Cox. We pick a different topic to expand on with a guest expert normally, generally linked to tactics and tactical trends, but often centred around a player, a manager or a club. Not this week, Michael. Not only is it just me and you, but really, we are focusing on one specific tactical trend. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the um, FA Cup semi-final weekend. And I think the really notable thing there was that three of the four sides used a three-man defence. Um, Arsenal did it against Manchester City. And both Chelsea and Manchester United did it on the Sunday almost to react to each other, I think. So, um, yeah, I thought that would be a good topic of discussion. How significant was the moment where two of United's three centre-backs collided with each other, prompting one of them to be substituted for an attacking player when the score was nil-nil, do you think? Yeah, I think that was significant. I mean, it, it meant that they brought on uh, Martial and went to uh, a different system. I think it was Martin Keown on commentary who said, yeah, I think they might be moving to a different system here, which uh, <laughs> yeah, was, was, was indeed expected when a centre-forward comes on for a central defender. Remember yeah, that on the BBC, Michael, and they say this always, the people who work for the BBC when they show live games, is that they are not just catering to you and I or the listeners of this podcast, but actually a wider audience who tune in who don't usually watch live football matches. I just thought I'd thought I'd provide a, a, a bit of support for Martin Keown there. No, I very much get that. And I don't mind Martin Keown, but he didn't have to say, I think they might be moving to a different system. They clearly were going to move to a different system. I was um, more confused when just after Giroud scored, they flashed up a graphic with the name Oliver Giroud, and normally you have like a stat, maybe X goals in X games this season, just said Oliver Giroud, Chelsea, or Olivier <laughs> Giroud, I should say, uh, okay. which I thought by that stage, like, even if you, you didn't watch much football, by that stage really should have become clear him having just put Chelsea uh, into a 1-0 lead. Uh, let, let's try and attempt to discuss today's topic, which is, as you've touched on there, the amount of teams, either as their primary system or an alternative system, who have turned to a three-at-the-back formation at different times in the Premier League this season. Um, you've been quite hard at work writing this week, so I hope you've had time to, to put together some good notes on this. You released four pieces in four days on the site, one on Spurs and Mourinho, one on Sheffield United being the best promoted team of modern times, your words, not mine, one on Maradona versus England, and one on... Arsenal. I mean, that that's a pretty busy week you've had already. Yeah, it was a fairly busy weekend, but um, 
Yeah, like I said, I really enjoyed the FA Cup semi-final weekend. I know that the FA Cup is not regarded as it once was, but I just think that now is maybe the highlight of the competition in a way. I think it used to be the third round, didn't it? But so many teams rest their players. And I think even sometimes you get to the quarterfinals, you have teams rotating players and that kind of thing. But when you get to the semifinals and, and it's at Wembley, I think you generally get first choice 11s. And, and this time around, you got two really good matchup and, uh, matchups and I think two quite intriguing games, actually. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't resist covering the Arsenal <laughs> performance because I thought that was uh, probably quite a landmark display for Arteta in his coaching career and in getting one over on his old bus. A lot of people... Uh, complaining about the amount of football on our screens at the moment, but it seems to be inspiring you. No burnout here. More writing than ever before from Michael Cox on the Athletic site. And that alone should be enough for anyone listening to want to sign up to the free trial, a 30-day free trial that you'll get if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. So very much a, a try before you buy. You can read all and everything that, that Michael's written and, and so many other good football writers as well. There's so much good stuff on site at the moment. Uh, let's get into our topic uh, and a bit of recent history to try and put things into context. I have to admit, when you said I'd like to talk about the abundance of three at the back systems in the Premier League this season, my mind went straight to Antonio Conte uh, and his Chelsea title winning team of 2017-2018. How much of of the popularity of that system across the division today can be traced back to Conte and his success there? Yeah, I think it did help. I mean, not just with teams kind of thinking, okay, we want to replicate how Chelsea were playing, but because I think a lot of teams found that the best way to play against uh, a three-man defence was to match it and do it themselves. And the more that happened across the league, the more you had teams, uh, teams doing it and trying to match opponents and just experimenting with a different system. And I think it was significant as well that the next year at World Cup 2018, Gareth Southgate used a three-man defence with England, which England hadn't really used on a consistent basis probably since he was playing a good 20 years beforehand. And I think that was, okay, partly because England had the personnel to suit that system, but also just there were lots of players who were accustomed to playing it, at least on a on a temporary basis at times at club level. So yeah, I think it's something that has come back into English football in a big way after a period of 10, 15 years where if you had a side playing a three-man defence, it would really be an anomaly. You know, I think of Roberto Martinez as Wigan as a side who were 3-4-3 three, three pretty much every week. But in terms of the top sides, it was pretty much a flat back four. So yeah, we, we see much more variety. And I think more teams in particular who can play the system one week and then switch to a back for the next. Whereas, again, 10 years ago, you were either playing a three-man defence or you weren't. It, it felt significant that England had success with this system at the World Cup. And I, I guess it might have been mixed up a little bit in uh, the feeling that this was a, a, a new type of success for England in, in modern history. Gareth Southgate seemed to be doing things a little bit differently and this felt like a bit of a, a culmination or a bearing of fruit from the England DNA sort of program that was put together by the FA and Dan Ashworth, who was in charge of things at the time. Now, of course, with Brighton, I suppose there might have been a sense that after World Cup 2018, that might have been the way that England play going forward under Southgate. But since then, he's actually kind of moved away from it, hasn't he? That that's, turns out not where Southgate saw the future of the England national team uh, long term. Yeah, you're right. He's played more of a 4-3-3 in, in the last year or 18 months. And I think that was the right decision. I mean, I think it worked quite well at the World Cup, but I thought there were also 
some tactical questions, particularly that defeat in the semi-final to Croatia. I just think England were kind of getting overloaded down the flanks and I don't think that was uh, the right system for them defensively. I think also when you look at the progression of certain players, uh, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford, I think he's on a different level now. I, I think England probably need to be playing a third forward and I think for, for various players it suits them to be using a 4-3-3. So yeah, it worked for a time but, but Southgate's moved away from it. But I just think that English football has developed more tactically flexible players now and I think that whereas once upon a time because everyone was playing a four-man defence it would have been a, quite a bold call for I guess Sven Goran Eriksson at that time to use a three-man defence even when you could say the players might have sued it on paper. But now players are just more accustomed to using it. I think they're you know, managers are, are more comfortable being flexible. Well, and there's an interesting group of, of younger players, not those attacking players you've mentioned, but may I suggest the likes of Declan Rice and, and even that leads is Calvin Phillips, although he's he is in his mid-twenties, who play who, who, who appear to have that ability to drop into defence and, and between uh, the centre-backs and start dictating play from there if need be. And that, that does allow for some flexibility tactically. Uh, let's talk about the teams for whom this is a sort of way of life. Like we're going to talk about the fact that this can be an alternative system, a plan B of sorts for sides, but there are a couple who live and die by the three at the back system. And let's start with one of your favourite sides this season, Sheffield United, uh, a unique system, of course, under Chris Wilder, which we have covered in depth on this podcast a few months back. So if you're not au fait with it, uh, that podcast with special guest, the excellent Jay Sosick, uh, is worth a listen. But I mean, it's fair to say you've been pretty enamoured with this side from a tactical sense, Michael. Talk me through it. Yeah, they've been great. I mean, the most impressive thing is they're broadly playing the same way they did in the championship. Um, okay, they've changed the system. They used to play with a number 10. Now they play with a, a deeper midfielder behind the two. But in terms of the freedom afforded to the to the wide centre-backs, I mean, I thought either they'd have to abandon the system and be a bit more, um, how to put it, a bit more pragmatic in the Premier League, or they would continue to play this system, play some good football, but also get done on the break. And, and that hasn't really happened regularly, which is testament to the organisation that Wilder's got there. I think it's, you know, as we discussed before, it's not just about the centre-backs. It's it's about the wider system and how they try and overload teams down the flanks. And I think that, you know, David McGoldrick's a big part of that. Obviously, the wing-back, uh, wing-backs are a big part of that. Even the central midfielders drifting wide. But the most, you know, I'd say revolutionary part is those centre-backs, which we've almost come to to take for granted, but Jack O'Connell in particular and, and Basham on the other side have just shown, I think, the freedom that you can play with if you're in those wide centre-back roles. It's a very different role to playing as, you know, part of a centre-back partnership. And there's been so many goals that have come this season because opposition sides just don't really know how to cope with that. And um, yeah, as you say, I did an article for The Athletic on the weekend, which which compares them with past great promoted sides, the likes of Ipswich and Wolves last season and uh, a couple of others. And, you know, the fact that they've done it in this era of such in-depth op- opposition scouting, I think is maybe the most impressive thing. I thought they'd maybe get sussed out after a few games, but that just hasn't happened. And I think that's, uh, you know, they've obviously promoted the way of playing three centre-backs in a very um, inspiring way for a lot of managers. I guess the next objective for Chris Wilder is to, to try and adapt the system or to bring in players who could see them become a little bit more potent in an attacking sense. One of the best 
defences in the league this season, but they have struggled going forward. They've, they've certainly got the most out of the goals they've scored, put it that way, just 38 goals scored and 54 points in total, which is, uh, in terms of points per goal scored, has got to be right up there in, in modern times. <laughs> uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, another team who came up from the Championship, playing a three-at-the-back system, which Nuno installed immediately upon his arrival. Um, since joining the Premier League, having played specific, you know, very specifically 3-4-3 three, three with, with wide inside forwards in the Championship, uh, Diego Jota, who, as you can imagine, was insanely good in the Championship, and Ivan Cavallero as well. Uh, in the Premier League, they've switched a little bit more, haven't they, between 3-5-2 and a 3-4-3. Three, three. What do you think works best for this Wolves side at Premier League level? I mean, I think it's fair to say they're very well organised in both formats. Um, the 3-5-2, I think, gives them something different, not just because they've got an extra man in the centre of the pitch to try and control possession, because I don't really think that's an issue with Moutinho and Neves, who cope very well as a two. But when Don, uh, when Dendonka's in there, he gives them the kind of late penalty box running and an almost added goal threat from that position. And I think that can work very well at times. But in general, I really like the 3-4-3. I think the way that they play it with, with Jota and Jimenez up front um, and with Traore on the right, I mean... They've got two really good partnerships there, Jota and Jimenez, because they seem to be able to one-two their way through the opposition. Um, <laughs> and Traore, because he's, you know, does the very classic thing of getting to the byline and crossing for Jimenez. And, and that's been the most productive partnership in the Premier League this season in terms of, you know, an assister combining with the goal scorer. Uh, in deeper positions, I think they've got two really well-suited players to play at wing-back in, in Johnny uh, and Matt Doherty on the right, who I think is... Has played it in an interesting way. He, he, in some ways, he reminds me a little bit of Marcos Alonso because he's very good in the air for a, a fullback or a natural fullback who's, who's playing as a wingback. And also, again, he's very good at playing one twos. I think his relationship with Jimenez is really good. He works well with um, with Traore down the right. And the interesting thing is, at times they've almost played without a natural centre back as well because they've had uh, Dendonka's played at the back. Obviously, Connor Cody is a converted midfield player, um, so they've got great technical quality in the defence. And I think that. You know, it's a little bit different when Bolly's there because I think he's more of a traditional old school centre back. But I think sometimes when you have a three man defence, you can have two players who aren't natural centre backs. And, and you can go back to, to Conte at Chelsea again. They played it with David Luiz, who we know has his shortcomings in the back four, and with Azpilicueta, who's very much a full back in a back four. Um, but with those two in, the, in a three man defence, you have great technical quality. So I think that's another kind of almost underrated aspect to playing a three man defence. It's not an original thought of mine. I'm nicking it off someone from Twitter, but I've seen it suggested specifically when talking about Connor Cody that he essentially just plays a midfield role just in a back line. Um, and my favourite stat to sort of almost back that up a bit is that if you take all of the centre-backs in the Premier League this season who have played, let's say, more than 2,000 minutes, uh, he attempts or is involved in by miles the fewest aerial duels per game only 1.5 <laughs> aerial duels per game for Wolves this season uh, just completely avoiding that issue entirely taking that out of the game obviously Bolly uh, and Saïs are the ones who, who go and attack the ball and, and Cody is just removed from that situation which arguably might be a weakness of his uh, doesn't make a difference really he's essentially playing a, a midfield role kind of a quarterback role but in the heart of a back three and a brilliant organizer as well so you're saying basically he's a deep lying deep lying playmaker 
yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um now uh, talking of well i was gonna say the big six i think at the moment we record with arsenal in 10th tottenham in 7th i'm not really sure if we we should be allowed to call them that let's talk about the richest clubs in in the uh, in the premier league um pre-conte i think it was quite unusual for uh, these teams the big six for want of a better phrase, to use a three-at-the-back system. But almost all of them, Michael, have done so at, at times this season and in slightly different ways, though, though rarely as the number one system. This has become uh, something that, that these teams have used more as an alternative. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, Conte certainly inspired Arsenal to do that. I mean, that was, it was a thousand games Arsenal went without using a three-man defence and then suddenly did it. So you're right, it, it, it is a new thing for for teams to use it as a... As an alternative, um, and it is. Do you, reckon Veng- mean, do you reckon Wenger was really upset when that happened? But when he had to break his his yeah. run of using it, uh, mate, do you think I mean, a, sort of deep down, like in his soul, he really was disappointed about that. I reckon. Well, weirdly, the first thing he ever did as Arsenal manager was was literally change from a back three to back four because there was a UEFA Cup game against, uh, I think it was away at Bar- uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. And Wenger was in the stands, but wasn't technically in charge of the side. And Arsenal were playing a back three. And he almost stormed into the dressing room at half time before he was officially in charge, demanded that they switch to four-man defence. Uh, and they, I think they went on to lose the game by more than they were losing at half time. And Tony <laughs> Adams was absolutely furious about it because they'd been using a three-man defence for the previous year with no great problems. So yeah, literally before Wenger had even taken charge, he'd scrapped a three-man defence. So it was clearly a big thing to go. Do you uh, reckon Martin Keown, if he'd seen the team sheet that day, <laughs> would have said, I think he might be changing system here? <laughs> Presumably. presumably <laughs> We've got a bit yeah. waylaid. We're talking about the big six and how they use three at the back systems in, in different ways. So, so please continue. Yeah, I mean, it, it tends to be an alternative system. And um, I, I went through and, and found a few good examples, I think, of where teams have, have used it really effectively this season. So I think the best example would be, again, to go back to Chelsea, Frank Lampard's Chelsea now against uh, Mourinho's Tottenham. And this was at the start of the the Mourinho era, where Spurs were almost shifting into something like a 3-2-5 in possession, which was quite unusual. And I think this was the best example of just how effective a three-man defence was for Chelsea because there were three things they did well. One, they pressed really high, three-on-three high up the pitch. And I think that caused a lot of turnovers. At the other end of the pitch, when the wing-backs retreated, they were able to match Spurs attackers almost five against five. But maybe the most important thing that they did was they were constantly able to find the wingbacks and space in possession, particularly from the goalkeeper. It was always the outball out there. I think we've seen that a few times this season. Teams who, who like pressing just find it really difficult to press wingbacks unless they've got wingbacks themselves. And I think that, you know, that almost furthers the, uh, you know, furthers the popularity of a three-man defence. If you're playing against a system and you think the best way to, to cope with it is to match it, obviously the three-man defence spreads more and more but yeah it seems to be a, a tactic in big games we've seen Solskjaer's Manchester United use it very effectively away at Chelsea in a 2-0 win in a 2-0 win over Manchester City as well they play in a different way with Fernandes as the number 10 and two wide forwards but I think a, a similar concept there particularly the game against Man City where I think they were by far the better team they felt they could almost use a back five and just leave Jao Cancelo and, and Zinchenko free and they probably wouldn't hurt them, which isn't a, a tactic that you can use against, for example, Liverpool, of course. Um, and the most recent example, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the FA Cup semi-finals, 
Arteta's Arsenal against Manchester City. Again, that was really a back five for long periods as Arsenal were defending the whole game. But again, when Arsenal were playing out from the back, which was probably the key feature of the game, they were constantly able to switch out to the wing backs, including for the first goal. And I think City just struggled to shut down that ball. And, and maybe that was something Arteta had picked up from, you know, from being at Manchester City and had seen, OK, City aren't particularly great at, at playing against teams that use a back three. So, um, yeah, there's, there's been various examples uh, of big sides using it, usually as an alternative and usually in big games. Um, and quite often it's been very effective. Is there a starker difference in performance levels than David Luiz in the middle of a back three versus in a back four? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he just suits that role very well, doesn't he? I mean, is is a, a bit of a spare man. I think as well... They use it as a back five and they're pretty much defending the width of the penalty box for the for the entire game and just playing quite deep. And I think that suits Louise as well. So I think there's two things. Yeah, one, he's more comfortable in a, in a three-man defence. And two, he's more comfortable when he's close to his own goal rather than having to cover space. But yeah, obviously, he's been a huge beneficiary of, of Arsenal moving to that system. And maybe that's even the reason he got another contract extension for another year. Harry's sponsors Zonal Marking, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, check. Five precision-engineered blades, check. A rich, lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover as well. As a listener of Zonal Marking, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash zonal right now. That's harrys.com forward slash zonal. Playing in those outside centre-back roles in a back three, uh, it demands slightly different things to playing in uh, as a centre-back in a back four. Uh, Are there any players who you think are particularly suited to those positions as the outside centre-backs? Yeah, I do think you get kind of in-between players who aren't quite centre-backs in a back four and they aren't quite full-backs either. I think a really good example of that is uh, Ben Davis at Spurs, who I think is probably slightly too conservative to play as a left-back or a really top side. He also doesn't really have the the physical power to play as a part of a two-man defence, but... As a left-sided centre-back, obviously he's very left-footed. I think he suits that well. Another one is Lindelof at Manchester United, who I think is a decent player alongside Maguire. He's, he's maybe not the most commanding centre-back, but I think he, he subtly does things well. But I think w- when they've used a, a three-man defence, particularly the game where Brighton, where, OK, it wasn't their starting formation, but Matic was dropping in and he was allowed to go on, he showed that he can carry the ball forward really well. My slight fear for him is that Actually, Manchester United have probably an even better example in Wan Bissaka of someone who can play as a right side of centre back. Not that he has so far, but I think when you look at his skill set, he would be really suited to playing that that position. I mean, I think he's come on a lot, Wan Bissaka, in terms of his 
overlapping in his crossing. But I think that sometimes Manchester United probably, when they play a three-man defence, need to be a little bit bolder. I, I think that the game at the weekend was a good example of that, where they could have probably used Wan-Bissaka there, used Daniel James as a wing-back rather than as a forward, and then brought Martial into the side from the start. But yeah, you tend to get these players who are maybe slightly smaller than traditional centre-backs and and accustomed to playing at fullback, so I think can can play really well those quite unique wide roles. And in terms of the wing backs, I mean, obviously very crucial to the success and, and failure of a three at the back system, uh, especially on the attacking side of, of things. How, how important do you think it is to get the balance of the wing backs right in, in terms of the profile of player that you have playing there? Yeah, I think Conte's Chelsea did really well, didn't they? With Alonso, who was a converted fullback, albeit someone who isn't particularly comfortable at fullback, I'd say, because he doesn't have the natural defensive qualities. And someone like Victor Moses, who, um, yeah, was a natural winger, probably didn't have himself down ever playing wing, but had to move to that position. I mean, I think that role is often really important because I think if you just play five defenders, it can be quite defensive and just lacking a bit of incision going forward. Again, I think it's something that some English players are having to learn. Someone like Theo Walcott, I saw, was was briefly deployed as a wing back for <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti last week, which I don't think really suited him at all. Yeah, um, but there but will yeah. be there will be young wingers who are now converted into wing backs. I mean, Alfonso Davis probably the poster boy of that at the moment, and it seems to be a trend that we're seeing across world football. That whether or not it's just in elite teams as part of their back four or as wing-backs in a three-at-the-back system, that's a conversion that's going to happen more and more as wingers are deployed less and less uh, in the game. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think what we've seen over the last 10, 15 years is an increasing number of kind of conventional fullbacks are converted wingers or midfielders, you know, someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold. But I think what we're seeing maybe in the last two or three years is that it's not just youngsters, it's players who are 25, 26 who have been established as wingers wide midfielders are having to drop back into that role um, and to go back to what I said earlier I think Daniel James is a good example of that someone who um, has tremendous speed great energy um, with the exception of his first three or four games this season is not really prolific in terms of goals isn't necessarily a great assister but I think would be really well suited to playing as a kind of up and down wing back so yeah I think there's uh, there's certainly an opening for players who are I, I guess those who are more suited to a, a a four-man midfield than, than playing as part of a front three. I mean, we've seen Adama Traore sometimes drop back from playing as a real outside right to playing as a wing-back, which I think got him on the ball more and, and maybe slightly revitalised his Wolves career. But you still have to say he's more of a forward. You are more comfortable seeing him high up the pitch. Um, but yeah, certainly players have to be more flexible in general. I see young English wide man Dwight McNeil involved in a in a system like this playing as a wing back I would like to at least see how that would look um we've touched on Sheffield United and, and Wolves who are probably the best exponents of three at the back system outside of, of those big six teams that have used it in different ways this season as well for the teams maybe in the bottom half of the table I mean almost everyone has has given it a go at some point uh, do you sometimes feel like this is kind of a reactionary thing when a team has a, a maybe a poor defensive record, is looking a little bit leaky, and it's just a case of, well, the obvious thing to do might seem to be plug the gap uh, and, and put someone else in at the back. Yeah, I think that is fair. I think the obvious example of a side who were trying to do that was, was West Ham shortly after Moyes was appointed. Um, I mean, they did it in a number of ways. Sometimes they were 5 for one sometimes they were 5-3-2. Sometimes it was Lanzini buzzing around 
behind Haller in 5-3-1-1, I guess. But yeah, it did seem to be about basically just getting an extra centre-back in there, even though the centre-back was often Cresswell tucking inside from left-back and Masuaku playing as a left wing-back. Um, and and do you think it, it, it works or do you think it's kind of one of those obvious things that, that managers do, but actually they're kind of missing the point? and it doesn't necessarily solve the problem that they're trying to solve. Well, when you look at the games Moyes did it in, it was against Leicester when Leicester were playing really well, and then against Liverpool and Manchester City, and also against Sheffield United. But I think that was slightly different reason against Sheffield United. That was just to match their system. So yeah, it felt like that was almost a consequence of the fact Moyes had decided West Ham weren't going to have any of the ball, and they just needed someone else to defend um, you know, the penalty box. I think... Arsenal, to go back to Arsenal, I think they have played it in two completely different ways. They've played it in games where they've had the majority of possession and it's very obviously been a three-man defence. And they've also done it against City and Liverpool in the last week where they've just been camped on the edge of their own box. So there are, I suppose, two completely different ways to play it and two completely different situations where it does make sense. Where have you seen it trialled and properly failed like where has it not worked well at all in the Premier League this season um, I think Southampton the obvious example of that I mean Hassan Hootel was doing it at the start of the campaign and I didn't necessarily think they had the quality of centre-backs to play an extra one if that makes sense I think they are probably a little bit short at the back they did use it in, in the 9-0 defeat to Leicester although it was abandoned I think after the second goal when Bertrand got sent off and they went to a flat back four so we can't really blame it for that but I think the general pattern of Southampton's improvement um, since they moved to a four-man defence shows that yeah it wasn't really working uh, for them I'd say Dean Smith at Villa who I think has probably tried more formations than anyone else in the league this season again didn't really think it worked for them probably suited Mings I think on the left of the three but they just seemed to concede too much pressure and were just under the cosh for too long when they used that system. And as I mentioned uh, briefly, Everton used it a couple of weeks ago, just briefly, and, and I just don't think it suited their system or didn't suit their players, I should say, very well. But yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're on 13 sides that have tried it at some point this year, which is, um, you know, compared to five or six years ago, I think it was probably only two or three all season. So it's, it's certainly something that's come back into into the into the English game and, obviously started with Conte, but I think it's more interesting that it's survived after Conte's left. And that has been a bit of a legacy for him from his what two years in English football. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. During the pod, the following formations have been discussed. 352 3-4-3, No mention yet of the 3-6-1, Michael. And <laughs> I mean, I'm a little disappointed. What, what if I told you that there's a team in England that won the league this year playing a 3-6-1 formation? That is obviously very exciting to start with, Ali. But I assume that is like, it's a 3-3-3-1, right? We're not talking about... A sick, a flat six across the midfield, I assume. Let me run you through it. 
<laughs> this is Mark <laughs> Robbins of Coventry and his now patented, in the EFL terms, box midfield. That's probably the easiest way of summing it up. So yes, maybe it could be a 3-4-2-1. Um, but I don't think that necessarily... Uh, on its own explains necessarily what's happening here. You've got, uh, he switched after about 10 games of the season where Coventry were struggling to score goals and they were just losing games on the margins. They were sort of around the playoff places. Basically, as soon as he switched to it, they became the best team in the league. So it's clearly uh, notable, a little bit like when Conte did that at Chelsea. Um, I, I don't know how many games into his regime, you will probably remember, but that switch, which took them on to the next level. Three at the back, three centre-backs, of course. Very attacking wing-backs. Uh, one of them, Fankati Darbo, was their player of the season, a former Chelsea uh, youth player, and the left wing-back, Sam McCallum, who was a Jamie Vardy Academy graduate, which is pretty exciting. I think it's the V9 Academy. And he's been signed by Norwich. Uh, so he was signed by a, a side who were, at the time, a Premier League side in January, someone we may see more of. Then a, a double pivot in midfield. Um, normally one deep-lying playmaker is a guy called Liam Walsh, who a lot of Everton fans listening will remember his name. He was an Everton youth player, now owned by Bristol City in the Championship, but was on loan at Coventry and one of the players of the season in League One. Uh, then a, a, a more defensive-minded sort of screener next to him, a clever player in Liam Kelly. And then a, in front of them, most excitingly, uh, two number 10s who just had a lot of freedom. They, they had a, a selection of sort of three or four players who could play in this position. Um, they rotated a lot depending on the, the match situation and the opposition. And they mostly had quite a lot of freedom, just trying to find pockets of space, uh, getting close to the to the lone striker, making runs beyond him, but also trying to be the ones to, to thread through balls to Godden up front, who's a real poacher. Um, and certainly in EFL terms, this was a really interesting, a really interesting system and one that clearly elevated the level of the team which is kind of what you're always looking for when, when you're talking about tactical systems. So uh, they obviously won League One. They'll be in the Championship next season. One to keep an eye on, I think. Um, they were excellent defensively, um, which I think will, will translate probably up to the next level. They actually, considering they won the league, they weren't an elite attacking side at the level. They didn't create a ton of chances. That might, might be something that that needs to be rectified. So it may, it may be that Mark Robbins switches it up a little bit. You know, I'm thinking of maybe Chris Wilder, who when Sheffield United moved up to the Prem. He moved the number 10 back uh, into the central midfield. But yeah, I think, it's, I think it's worth a mention when we're talking about three at the back systems, especially because, as we know from Premier League level, and Conte's Chelsea, when there's a success like this, there's often copycats. So hopefully we'll see more of it. And if we do, I will be keeping you up to date. Make no doubt about that. No, please do. I mean, to what extent is that an anomaly in the football league? How many other sides are using a three-man defence? A lot, increasingly so over the last year or two. League two has become a sort of Petri dish for three at the back systems this year. <laughs> uh, four of the top seven in League Two played three at the back systems, um, mostly predicated on good defences. Apart from the one manager I would I would point out, and he'll be in League One with Plymouth next season, is, is Ryan Lowe. He's only two years into his managerial career and he's won two promotions from League Two, one with Berry, uh, and then this season with Plymouth, both times playing a really attacking 3-5-2. Um, this year, he got a, a, a guy on loan called George Cooper, who's basically a number 10, or at 
had a push, a left winger, um, and he, he switched him to left wing back. It just worked brilliantly. He spent most of his time in the final third. They were a team that kept the ball really well, and, and Cooper's job was just to swing in crosses from the left, and he, I think he got the most assists in the EFL this season. So Ryan Lowe is someone to keep an eye on. If anyone is interested in, in managers who are clearly kind of wedded two or three at the back system. Um, but yeah, in League Two, I, I must admit, I don't want to finish on a negative. I have a theory, and it's kind of based on League Two this year, that from a neutral perspective, um, and not necessarily a tactical one, but more a, an entertainment perspective, matches that see two teams up against each other, both playing three at the back, in basically any form, I think tends to be quite poor spectacles. I'm interested to know if you've noticed that at all, watching a lot of Premier League football this season. Yeah, I think you're right in general. I think the interesting thing is usually when you have a clash of systems, isn't it? As I mentioned before, I think when a when a team has wingbacks constantly in space, I think a four-man defence struggles to kind of push up and shut them down. But when you do have them matching each other, I mean, it, take, it takes me back to kind of Sunday league days. Where I remember I played as a wingback a couple of times early and the opposition were playing as wingbacks as well. And you basically just like run up and down the touchlines chasing each other the whole game. <laughs> it's just like completely unbeneficial to any kind of good football. Um, I realise Premier League football is slightly more advanced than that. Um <laughs> But to a certain extent, I do think you have the same patterns. And yeah, I, I think you tend to get better football matches when you have players on the flanks who are in some kind of space rather than immediately shut down. I think the well, Man United... so congested in, in the central areas as well, all through yeah, the pitch. Yeah, completely. And you just don't have the out ball to a fullback or a wingback in space. And I think the United-Chelsea game was probably a good example of that. I thought the first... Well, the first half, really, I thought was quite flat. And obviously, it was only two pretty poor pieces of goalkeeping by De Gea, which which meant there were goals and things opened up after that. But yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, three at the back against three at the back doesn't always make for a good game. If you may allow me to use a completely arbitrary stat to try and back up my point about this. League two, I reckon, is the, the league with most three at the back systems uh, in the top four tiers this season. I mean, as I mentioned, I think there's seven or eight teams for whom it was like their definitive number one system. But over the course of the season, a bit like in the Premier League, many teams gave it a go as well. Uh, and that was the division with the lowest average goals per game of the top four tiers. So there you go. That, that makes you think. Um, thank you, Michael. Um, a fun topic this week, one that I very much enjoyed and thank you for running me through the current situation uh, where it pertains to three at the back systems in the Premier League. No, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and it's uh, always good to chat about formations. They are, of course, the most important thing in football. <laughs> um, just a quick one before I let you go. Your Reconsidered series is proving to be very popular. Uh, latest article was on Diego Maradona uh, and the game against England, the Hand of God game, also the greatest goal in World Cup history game uh, if you're an Argentina fan and can you tease what's coming next I look at the comments below those pieces and the, the reader's imagination is really captured by this and specifically trying to guess where you'll go next is there is there any chance you could give those who have listened right to the end a little teaser for us <laughs> we'll try to keep people guessing but uh the World Cup ones are good. I think the World Cup is probably where you still get the most kind of iconic individual performances. So uh, the Maradona one was good because the general principle is to reconsider an individual performance. But I think this one ended up being more reconsidering uh, how England played against Maradona rather than how Maradona played against England. So it was interesting. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to be sticking with the World Cup for a, a couple of weeks. So looking forward to that. Well, I look forward to 
seeing Harry Kane's game against Panama 2018 <laughs> reconsidered at some point. Um, thanks very much for, for tuning in, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's Zonal Marking podcast. Just a, a reminder that we've got a real nice backlog growing of, of Zonal Marking podcasts. And because we are not sort of time specific, I think that they age quite well. So if, if you've come to the pod late, maybe in the last few months, and you're looking for, for a bit more, well, go back down the podcast feed. There's loads of good stuff from the start of the year. Uh, and we hope that you'd uh, go back and listen to those. And uh, look, we're not the only athletic podcast out there. There's tons of other good stuff as well. Make sure that you take a look on the athletic site, see which podcasts you might like and subscribe for free on any podcast platform or ad free if you're a subscriber to The Athletic. And a reminder that you can be a subscriber to The Athletic with a 30-day free trial to give it a go before you move forward with your subscription if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. Thanks for tuning in and join us again next week.